Hello everybody, this is Michael Rosso. This is the November 15th, 2009 Film Photography Podcast. I'm sitting here with Dwayne Polkew. Hello everyone. And John Fideli. And welcome to another fun-filled episode. Last month, we ended, we were talking about um, some photography in our film photography podcast. C41! Flickr group. (laughs) And um, a gentleman, what was the gentleman's name, John? John... C41. I don't have it in front of me. Milliker. 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 John Milliker was shooting 35mm photography backwards in his camera, meaning that he was flipping the film, so he was shooting through the shiniest part. Oh, he wasn't standing backwards. No. He could have. He could have. We didn't mention they're really well-composed, well-exposed shots. I mean, very nice done. Very nicely done. Yes. He's got a good eye, that guy. Yes. Yeah, they were great. Also in that same pool. Uh Uh-huh. Was some of my Kodachrome photography. Yep. Excellent. Oh, well, thank you. You really mean that? I mean that. I've, I've looked at them before. Oh, and thank uh, you. You know, as far as street photography goes, there's a certain <laughs> um, there's a certain vibe to it. There's a certain energy to it. They're well, I mean, yeah, they're well composed and the color's nice and all, but when you're looking at street photographs, you want to look at something a little beyond that. Right. Like, like did you capture in essence, like you look and go, oh, that's definitely New York. Right. And you get like, you can feel yeah. that there's something there that... Well, yep. The Film Center building, which is on uh, 9th Avenue at 44th Street, is an Art Deco building. Okay. And that really kind of... Yeah, the doors are very... It's a gorgeous building, and my goal is to get in there sometime soon and just shoot some of the the lobby. I mean, everything about it is, you know, 1933. It's on uh, 9th Avenue across from the uh, Port Authority, right? uh, it's, It's down a few blocks from the Port Authority, 44th. And uh, I love going into New York City, which is 30 minutes from here, so it's very convenient. And shooting Kodachrome, which uh, actually could be our first topic. It's no longer made. Kodachrome. Yes. Last last month we were talking about Polaroids not being made. Now it's Kodachrome. Well, they announced in 2009, in June 2009, that uh, Kodachrome would be discontinued. And the last batch shipped on in September of 2009. The only processor in the world is Dwayne's. No, not your house, Dwayne. Yeah, I do. <laughs> the only processor. You're a stripper, and this is and you. You okay. know, need Polaroid. Come on by. Dwayne, as you know from the last podcast, is a glamour photographer and has shot many strippers. Many. Yes. Many centerfolds. Some yes. famous, most not. Right. But not on Kod- not on Kodachrome. I've shot the. Def- uh, J.J. North, I shot on Kodachrome. You did? Yes. Were those, were those Psycho Sisters shots on Kodachrome or no? Quick story. Um, <laughs> Quick story, folks. Uh, the first sh- shoot I did for J.J. North was not for Psycho Sisters. and We shot it on Kodachrome and two and a quarter film. And uh, she took the images to California with her. And Fred Olin Ray, who did a movie called Attack of the 60-Foot Centerfold, used my photographs in his film, he blew them up, and the oh, really? there's, there's a scene in the movie where this is what I could look like, and there were the pictures I shot, some of them on Kodachrome. Oh, and no I, kidding! I, I never got, a, I don't even think I got a credit. I'm sure you didn't. I did not. <laughs> but I mean, if you if you rent the movie Attack of the 60 Foot Centerfold with J.J. North, and you look at these beautiful photographs of her, I'm the one who did them. Both myself, Dwayne, and John are involved with the B movie horror sleaze. What would you call it? Underground cult. 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 Cult of personality. Cult movies. Cult of no personality. Yes. 
Yes, uh, cult movies. J.J. North, I would say she's best known for Attack right. of the 60-Foot Centerfold. Because I think that was her big film. Yeah, it was on was. TV. Yeah. Was it really? Yes, USA Network, I think. I Network. thought she was more well-known for Psycho Sisters. It depends. I mean, that was, uh, that was um, a popular movie. Um, it played some television. Mm. Certainly internationally it's been seen. Um, but Kodak, Kodachrome, which you shot J.J. North on. Kodachrome 25. The only processor is Dwayne's Photo, Dwayne'sPhoto.com. They're in Parsons, Kansas. And um, I, mean, I mean, they were processing Kodachrome. I think Kodak had some facilities. But as Kodak started closing its facilities, they just gave all the work to Dwayne's. Because I think you have to be sort of licensed. You have to be like uh, acknowledged by Kodak to process Kodachrome. Because it is a film, and I don't have the technical data here, but it is a film that, unlike any other slide film, correct, it needs to be uh, developed in its own very specific chemistry. Because it's essentially a black and white film, and then the layers of color are added onto it, I believe, in a separate process that is then incorporated into the whole process that's called, you know, Kodachrome processing. Whereas E6 process is just dip and dunk. It's a few steps. Right. Because dunk. what it is, they, have, they call it a dip and dunk processor. Oh. oh. Sorry. It's okay, Jim. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated process, and not everybody wants to invest in the equipment to do it. I mean, you needed Kodak equipment to do it. You can you can buy you can buy you know Jobo processors and do E6 in your in your basement. Have you ever seen? You've never witnessed Kodachrome processing. Never, no. Wow. So you got to be schooled in it. It's you not gotta, just something any dope can do. Yeah, you got to be definitely schooled. But it, the, the the beauty of Kodachrome was the fact because it has at its base black and white film, which is the most stable film out there. It, it's so archival. Hmm. You know, I mean, no one even knows. How long, how archival it is because there's Kodachromes from the 1920s when they, uh, was it 20s? No, those were called autochromes. 30s. 30s. That still look as good today as they did in 1930. Wow. You know? So, I mean. Uh, let's see. The film was 75 years old, so that would be what? 1930 what? 35. The 30, film was. 34. Uh, okay. 35, yeah. 35. Eastman Kodak announced June 22nd it will discontinue sales of Kodachrome color film this year, including. I'm sorry, concluding its 74-year run as a photography icon. And it also made it in two and a quarter in, in roll film also. Oh, I'm going to get to that right now. What does it say? Kodachrome 64. Sales of Kodachrome, which became the world's first commercially successful film in 35, have declined dramatically in recent years as photographers turn to other films or digital capture. Kodachrome today... Kodachrome represents a fraction of one a fraction of one percent of Kodak's total sales of still picture films. Yikes! What would you do? <laughs> what would you do? Oh, I know what I do. What? I buy a hundred rolls and put it in my freezer. Yeah, I guess, huh? Uh, despite all the outstanding features, and it is outstanding. Unbelievable! It's the best slide film ever made. Kodachrome in, it involves a highly complex development process that led photographers to experiment with and adopt newer Kodak films that deliver outstanding color images through a similar workflow. For example, Kodachrome has very distinct characteristics, and no film will give the exact results, but current photographers are encouraged by Kodak to use such films as Portra 160, Portra 400, T-Max 400 or Ektar 100. It's a different animal. 
Have you shot Ektar yet? The color print film? Yeah. Yes, I have. Don't you think it sort of has that kind of Kodachrome characteristic? Sort of? Well, you no, because Kodachrome is is a reversal film. It's positive. I mean, in other you put a slide on a, a light box and you, it's the finished product. You know, uh, color negative film, you get a negative and then you make a positive from that. And depending upon the procedures that you use and the techniques that you use to make that print, that's what determines what a print looks like. Right. So how can you say a slide looks like a print film? You can't. There's, I mean, people want there to be a replacement for it, but... It's not. It's sorry. Not, not going to happen. Maybe like... Uh, Dream on. Maybe it'll be like some kind of website you can go to and Dream, click a button. Dream on. Be like, make your photo look like... Dream on. Dream on. You can go to eBay. When you look at... Awesome. I'm sorry. If you look at a Kodachrome slide and you and you turn it in the light, yes. you can actually see physical Perfor- re- relief. Like, you can see yes. relief on this on the film. Those are the layers of color being applied to that essentially black and white negative base. Nothing mimics that. I mean, I don't care what you do. There, there's actually, you know, depth. If you kind of twist it and let you could see the layers. Yes. It's pretty awesome. The little peaks and valleys. It's and, amazing. It's amazing. It was an amazing film and that's why it had the level of sharpness and saturation that it did. Velvia came close in certain respects like sharpness and and saturation, but you know there was there was a quality to Kodachrome yes. that I don't think is ever going to be replaced. Sadly. Well, they uh, the formats of Kodachrome were. This is awesome because I find these on eBay. You know, expired expired film on eBay. Kodachrome was made in 126 format, 110, 35 millimeter, and 120. Wow. And you know what's very strange, Dwayne and John? <laughs> what's that, Mike? That Dwayne's, not you, Dwayne, mm-hmm. who, who develops, who's the last developer of Kodachrome that will develop through December of 2010. They, If you have a roll of <laughs> Instamatic Kodachrome, they will develop it for you. If you have 110 Kodachrome, they, w- they will develop it for you. 35 millimeter, yes. 120, no. Hmm. Why? Oh. Because they probably have a machine. Oh, that is limited. Is limited to format. Oh, because uh, you know different different sized different piece of film size. You know, I found uh, Kodachrome 110 film on eBay. I did not win the auction, uh, unfortunately. But I was dying to shoot Kodachrome 110 in my little Pentax yeah, Auto 110. Awesome. Yeah, and I, I contacted Dwayne's. I said, "Will you develop 110 Kodachrome?" They said, "Yes." So. Uh, I've been compulsively. <laughs> I've been searching. I've been comp- I compulsively scout, you know, search eBay for Kodachrome, and um, as I mentioned in the last podcast, you know, those sellers who sell and give a little description of their film. Yes. I usually buy from them because they they say. I bought this Kodachrome in 1984. I'm a photographer. This has been stored in my freezer since I bought it. I don't think Kodachrome goes bad. Uh, well, you know, I haven't really found any quote-unquote bum rolls yet, but I have. I did buy some expired film, color print film, mm-hmm. like uh, Kodak HD 400 from eBay from 2005, and you would say, oh, no problem. Horrible. Really? I think that... If it was improperly stored in heat, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it was grainy. It was it was fogged. It was in a glove compartment of our, <laughs> and we lived in Phoenix, so I think it's okay. It's it quite in, possible, right? It was in Nana's attic. 
<laughs> Nana. <laughs> Nana, next to the boilerplate. <laughs> Nana. <laughs> but I'm personally, I'm starting what I call my personal Kodachrome project. I stocked up on film. I was able to find film at Unique Photo in New Jersey. Mm. Wonderful shop. Yeah, it's a great shop. I love them. Can I uh, ask you a question? Yes. You're going to have all this Kodachrome film. Is, I have all this Kodachrome Is Dwayne's going to continue to process it until the last roll is gone off the face of the earth? Or what happens if they stop processing it? You can have all the Kodachrome you want. No, no. They're going to process through December of 2010. Weren't you listening? Oh, I thought they were going to discontinue that through 2020. No, I actually wasn't listening. <laughs> John is not listening to a word we're saying. He's thinking about lunch. <laughs> yeah. You know, in terms of granularity and RMS, which were the two the two specs. What's that, RMS? Uh, it's a number that tells you the line per millimeter resolution, oh. the resolving power of a film. Nothing matched Kod- Kodachrome. Nothing. Finest grain, highest sharpness. Right. Nothing comes near it. I'm sorry. You can use all the plugins for Photoshop that you want, but it's not going to match it. Uh, my favorite is Kodachrome 25. That was it. And I, I, if I find a roll on eBay, I buy it. I love it. Do you know, actually, your format was uh what there was there was a it was mistaken because it was initially made in eight by ten sheets Kodachrome? Kodachrome, yes in the 1930s edward weston who was a, a famous black and white fine art photographer in california was given boxes of Kodachrome to test and i believe they were eight by ten and he was a black and white guy i mean i don't know that he liked it or didn't like it he probably photographed some nude women on the rocks somewhere <laughs> oh it'd be great this is good stuff you know what i mean Somewhere in some archive, they're, they're, you know, the famous Edward Weston 8x10 Kodachromes. Hmm. That's incredible. It's incredible. Incredible. Ansel Adams shot a few sheets, too, like back in the 40s. Right. Did they bring it to Dwayne's? I think they did. I don't know how long. Dwayne's has been there a while. Is it Kansas City? Uh, no, uh, Parsons, Kansas. Parsons, Kansas. Yeah. I'd love to go there. And see it. Yeah, I really, I really want to see it. I wonder I how big the machine is. I wonder how big the place is. Well, they don't – ask the guy. Send a couple photos. Dwayne's is, as far as I'm concerned, world famous. On all the various sites I visit, photo.net, really? Flickr, many of the groups and threads, you know, always you know, send it to Dwayne's, send it to Dwayne's, send it to Dwayne's. And you know what's great about them? And I don't know if you know places local, Dwayne, Dwayne, Polk you, not Dwayne's mm-hmm. photo. Yes. <laughs> If I need something odd done, if I'm shooting 35 millimeter film jammed into a 126 cartridge and I shoot it mm-hmm. because it's it's odd and because the frames aren't going to be exact, I don't bring that film to get processed at Target. I send it to Dwayne's with a note saying, please develop only, do not cut film, just ship it back. Rolling. And they do it? They do it. They do custom, custom for you. Not extra. It's not any extra money either. That's amazing. You don't know of places that kind of do that? That's because it's Kansas. It's a, I'm serious, man. It's that it's that Midwestern kind of folksy, we'll take care of your ethic. That's you so, so rare. I think so. I mean, you're going to go into a place in the city? What? <laughs> you're talking huh? about New York City. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's, in New Jersey, when we refer to the city, we mean New York is, City. Is, this is a gossipy part of the show. You know, I'm not a musician, but I've always died to play. I've always wanted to play a musical instrument. So whenever I go into a music shop, I know nothing. Hmm. Like, I went and bought my Fender bass. I mean, I knew nothing. And I can tell you that when I walked in the door, it was like I hit a wall. You know, I hit a wall of smug. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, like I'm in a music shop, and everyone there is like a dick. You dick! And 
and everyone there is like so like they're all frustrated virtuosos who want to be rock stars that are selling guitars instead of playing them really it's like everyone's in bookstores yeah yeah, no one's really nice so you're saying that some photography shops like New York City Mm -hmm. have you ever gone into a shop where dick like you 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 hit a wall oh yes well the thing with I mean I don't want to mention store names no 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 but uh they're, they're they're just you know they're there to, to there to sell you something to a person who knows what they want. So if you walk oh. in there and you say I want this lens, this camera, and this film, and it's written down in a piece of paper, they come back they and they you. give it to you. They fetch it. They're not going to help teach. They're fetchers. Well, supposedly B and H Photo has become very good at that. They have people there now that are there to actually help you understand yeah, things. Yeah, because they know how to do business. Because they know that uh, a lot of people. But ten years get ago, I bet you they weren't. Ten years ago. They weren't. It was because it was more industry based rather right. than consumer based. Right, and they were exactly because it's New York, and it's like, you know, what do you want? Okay, right. What do you want? Right. I went into Unique Photo in New Jersey, and I knew what I wanted, but there was a, a a young woman there, and she had an old Polaroid camera, and they were actually helping her load the camera, mm-hmm. hm. wow. and you know, kind of assisting her and figuring out how to use it, and I I thought that was very refreshing. Did you get a tear? A little, a little bit. I was, Aww. you know, it was a, a much older Polaroid. It was the type where you load the film in, and then you sort of pull out the black and white print. This right. is the girl they were helping. Yeah, and was, then she, you, was she hot? The, <laughs> I mean, that's no, wrong. that factors in. I'm sorry. That fact that come on, it does factor. No, no, in. no, no, no. The, the, I believe that another woman was helping her. Oh, well, oh, yeah. Um, do you remember the Polaroids where you pull out the? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, sure. By the way, we also, this is my plug for Alternative Cinema. We also, (laughs) John and I are the hosts of the Alternative Cinema podcast, which is like a B-movie, cult movie, and we tend to use profanity. We we vent and we curse. It gets nasty. It gets a little nasty. If you go to alternativecinemapodcast.com, you could hear us be a lot more, not only one, no. Just, we, we, we represent the other side of our personality. Not too bad. No. But have you, do you remember those cameras? My dad had one, and he can't find it. He can't find it. You you'd load the film, then you'd pull the film out, and it would be. You, then you'd peel it. You know what this is, and but then this was a consumer film, so then you took like a little thing and you would coat it with the shiny part. That's Polaroid. Whoa. Right? Yeah, Polaroid. Right. Did don't photographers before you shoot film put a Polaroid back on a 120 camera to do a test? Yes. Still, if you can, uh, if that's the way you care to work, did you do that? Was that your style? Oh, many, many times. As a glamour photographer, did a lot of shoots for Mike Rasso. Yes. In seduction cinema, in yes. EI cinema, and you know sometimes we would use complex lighting arrangements for photographing the models and the actresses. You know, main light, fill light, hair light, edge light. So you want to see what it would look like. You want to see what it looks like because. Sometimes the contrast range of transparency film, which we always shot, is pretty narrow. Yes. And you're metering it, and you're getting your f-stop spread, but nonetheless, you want to make sure that something isn't going to be too hot, meaning it's going to be overexposed, or something isn't going to be too dark, meaning it's lost in the shadows. Mm. So you pop that Polaroid back on the back of the camera. Right. Uh, the crazy thing was that oftentimes the Polaroid speed was not the same as the emulsion speed. I'm just going to bring that up. How, how do you compensate for that? Well, you just you know you change it by a third of an f-stop and hope that it, it matches pretty close. And, you know, you peel off the back of the Polaroid, and there you have a beautiful representation of what you're going to shoot. And it was pretty close. I mean, the color saturation, the sharpness, the f-stop range was, you know, fairly representative of what would be on film. 
well, I can tell you, getting back to topic, that I'm very pleased with Dwayne. Not you, Dwayne. Although, Dwayne's all right, too. I, I like you, Dwayne. I have my moments. You do, but I like you. We won't get into the moments. We'll save that for the alternative cinema podcast. Well, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the meat of the matter. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm very pleased with their service. The only thing I'm not pleased with is, which is which drove me to buy... A, uh, I wound up I wound up buying a Epson V700 scanner to scan my own slides and negatives because I was never happy with their scans hmm. of Kodachrome slides. Hey, you can't do it all right. You no. can't do it all right. And film Kodachrome guy. is a tough film to scan because it's, 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 you know, very, very saturated and it's very high contrast, right? I mean, you know, the blacks are black and the reds are red. It's punchy. And if, you, if you're operating a scanner, yes. you kind of have to... You have to make decisions. You have to make decisions. It, yeah. It's, you know, it is not just a uh, kid sitting there pressing a button. Might you know, be. Might Over be. there. You know, so it's like, okay, <laughs> suppose the reds look good and the greens look good, but the sky doesn't. Okay, am I going to sacrifice one thing? To, to capture something else better, or am I going to do uh, an overall very low contrast scan right. and then advise the customer, you know, we got all the information on the scan, however it's a bit flat, what you're going to have to do on your computer is punch it up to where it looks more like the original. So yeah, it's a decision-making process yeah. when you make scans. So, you know, it's as much the operator as it is the equipment. And people buy these these scanners like your Epson. Oh, man, I want to make these great scans on it. And, you know, it's, it's a fairly expensive they're not, scanner. They're not bad. They're not but they, the thing of it is, too, it's a decision. You can scan sheet film on those things, and they right. sell wet mounting stations yes. to, to mount four by five inch film. And people think, oh, it's going to be the great. It's going to be as good as a drum scan, and it can come fairly close. But again, it, you have to make operator decisions. Well, about sharp sharpening and, and and curves and color bias, you how, have to make those decisions. How big your final output is even going to be? Like, sure, I mean, of course. You know, if you're just doing an eight by ten compared to a billboard, I mean. And they have different software. They have the Epson Twin. They have the Silverfast right. AI. I mean, you have to kind of choose which software you want to use also. You know, there are no – and I think part of this podcast, the kind of you know reason for the podcast is there's no cut-and-dried answer to any of this. I, I own the Epson V500. And 700. Of, uh, thank you. I own the Epson <laughs> – I own the Epson V700. And uh, I go on to forums to see what other people are doing with it. But it, it really is adapting it to your tastes and how you want things to be. There's no cut and dried answer of exactly how to do anything. Um, certainly there's technical standards of even when you're you know, shooting a picture. By the way, when I shoot Kodachrome, I've been shooting 3 to 1 for every shot because when I started shooting Kodachrome, everything was coming out dark. So, hmm. you know, I would meter, I'd shoot it, and it would just be a little too dark. And I'm like, you know, maybe the meter's off a little bit. So I just started, I'll shoot, I'll expose my image, and then I'll shoot two more images, opening up the lens, first one stop, then another stop. Called bracketing. Yes, called bracketing. And the fact that I'm kind of not, you know, I guess serious enough, I'm, I'm the fact that I'm kind of, you know, devoting a lot of my time to shooting Kodachrome I mean, why go to New York City to shoot an Art Deco film center building and, and mm. like, you know, have to wait two weeks to get your film back to find out that it's all over, underexposed? Horrible. Yeah, that's, Horrible. that's not nice. Yeah. Kodachrome, Dwayne's, I would say that if you're curious about Kodachrome, 
I mean, hey, look, you know, I mean, a year ago, I started to pick, I picked up my camera again, started shooting, and in that year, I've rediscovered ridiculous defunct formats like 126 and 110. Not ridiculous from the perspective of shooting it, but who would have think? Who would have thunk? Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? To, you know, starting to explore a 120 film. It's you're never too late unless it just doesn't exist anymore. And with Kodachrome. There is a what's a good word? Finite Shelf life. It's finite. Yes. The film's going to be gone. The processing's going to be gone. Processing's going to be gone. So I you better get on that train. You better get on that train before it comes into the station because it's going <laughs> to. And you could find that train on eBay. Tons of photographers are cleaning out their freezer. I kid yeah. you not. They're like, hey, this has been in my freezer. I switched to digital. I'm selling my film. Now's the time to do it. And you if would, you're going to do it, really. And you know there's not a lot of – you would think there's a lot of uh, gouging going on, and there really isn't. They just want to get rid of it. They just want to get rid of it. A lot of these guys are posting it for $0.99, cents, and it usually gets bid up to whatever the retail price is now. This about, is for a 35-millimeter roll? 35-millimeter, and the prices are going for about – What, 24 exposure? Some are 24, some are 36. Mm. And I've been paying about uh, anywhere from $10 to $20 a roll. But retail, if you walk into Unique Photo – who may still have some left, you'll pay seventeen dollars. Wow. Or fifteen dollars. Was always that expensive or no that's uh, you just, know what? I'm gonna we'll take that back. It's a lot. Fourteen or fifteen dollars retail right now. Wow. Sheesh. The 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 uh, retail nationwide may have jacked the price a little bit. I could buy a little disc for the back of my digital camera for that money. Well, that's but a I can whole use other it issue. over and over and over again. You know, the really quick, the issue of uh, well, especially that's the thinking of the consumer. Well, new photographers or people who want to get into photography who want to shoot digital and the 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 uh, never-ending question on on forums, film versus digital, is it cheaper to get into film photography now because the cost of your camera is going to be much lower if you buy a classic Canon 35 millimeter camera? Film is inexpensive, about a dollar a roll maybe less on eBay. And processing, you can go to Target, and for $4, you can get processing and print. They can ruin your film for 4 bucks. Well, that's a whole other story. The answer to your question, I think, is an emphatic yes. The reason Absolutely. why is because photographers before digital bought camera systems. They married into camera systems. They finally found one that they wanted. They bought that gear, with the exception of maybe buying an accessory here and there or an occasional lens to upgrade their system. That was it. It was not unheard of for a photographer to have a camera system for 20 years. Mm. Then people made money by selling them film and processing. Now that film and processing as a way to earn an income for a company is out of the picture, how are they going to keep getting your dollars? Well, they build in obsolescence into horrible into the gear that you buy. You know, your $1,200 digital camera that you bought a year ago, mm. you're lucky if you get 300 bucks for it. Yeah. Because now there's a point-and-shoot that sells for $600 that has a higher-resolution chip than that camera. And your operating system on your computer, well, maybe it's going to work with something and maybe it isn't. Mm. So they can sell you software to fix that. They can sell you software after software after software package. And that's, you know, like I said, it's designed. They're not going to sell you film. Not going to sell you film. No. So they got to, you know, where is that revolving door of taking your money come from? Well, it comes from the built-in obsolescence of the electronic gear that we now have for sale. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're, you're in that trap, especially you're if you do it commercially, man. You're sucked in. You're strung along. You're strung along. So, you got to buy a new new computer every two years. You got to buy a new camera every two years, right? Because yeah, in two years, like the the computer is useless. I bought a, I bought a new computer a month ago, and I was told 
oh, it's it's Windows it's Windows Seven now. Vista's obsolete. And I'm like, you got, I just bought this thing three weeks ago. So yeah. you you like, you were talk, you're talking about this through experience. Through experience. So like you just said when when you preface this topic, you can buy a a 120 roll film camera for 25 bucks. Your Adox. Yes. You can buy a roll of film for two dollars. You can go on eBay and buy a Patterson developing tank complete system right. for 30 bucks. So you're taking super high quality images for 90 dollars. I mean. You can't even approach that when it comes to digital. You're, yes, with an emphatic yes, it's vastly cheaper to shoot film now. And a lot more fun. It is a lot more if fun. If you enjoy the craft of it, right? if you enjoy the craft of understanding film and learning about it and loading film and unloading it and processing it and proofing it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's a world of fun, well, sure. You, you just said it right there because there's a lot more that goes into film photography than goes into digital. Digital, you take the picture, you load it in your computer, maybe you mess around with it a little bit in Photoshop and you're done. But with film, there's more of an art to it. There's a lot of areas, like you were talking about with the scanning. The scanning alone, you can get into, you know, Hours and hours and years and years of learning to try People and do it right. People write books on scanning. Exactly. You know, the thing I like about film too is that it's it's so archivally stable. I shoot with a four by five inch view camera, and uh, I know that that film is going to be there at the end of my life. You know, I don't know that there isn't going to be a smart bomb tomorrow that's just going to you know send out this wave of electromagnetic radiation and every single digital file is going to be wiped clean. I mean, you know, I, I hate <laughs> to be there. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, I've I've, I've I've been around long enough and shot digital photographs at the beginning of the digital photography boom that I can't open those files anymore. Well, we've <laughs> lost projects here uh, at, at the studios. We're, we're at Pop Cinema Studios in New Jersey. Uh, we shoot movies, mm-hmm. and whether we shoot on high-definition video or shoot on film, um, those, those movies are transferred to hard drive media, which is nothing more than – a file, which mm-hmm. is you know it's a JPEG file, TIFF file, but we're shooting QuickTime files, and we've lost hard drives and lost projects. I mean, we've recovered them through you know expense or just the trouble of reloading, uh, let's say the film back into the system. But I think that the technology is new. So the question is, if you're shooting digital photography, and I've read some articles in uh, Popular Photography magazine. Do you read that? I do. I love it. And there was an article on – I don't shoot digital, but I still love the magazine. Because mm-hmm. anything uh, regarding – Yeah, I mean everything about mm-hmm. uh, shooting photography, I mean the same for film. You know, photographer in the magazine saying, hey, I shot this at ISO 800 at this f-stop. I mean it's just – there was an article on workflow. And the digital photographers – and I, I will say from talking to friends of mine who shoot digital photography – that they are guilty of not finishing their workflow. And what I mean by that is saying they're guilty of not backing up their work. So if you're shooting digital, you have your card, I guess, that goes into the camera. Mm -hmm. What's it called? A flash card or it's called a memory card, CF card. The popular photography magazine gave a little workflow of like you have that card, you immediately back it up to a hard drive, then you take all the data from that hard drive and back it up again to another hard drive. (gasps) It never ends. The point is this. You know, there are a lot of, I, I would call them novice fights on threads about film versus digital. And film is time-consuming. It is. But I'm sorry. It's not more time-consuming than digital because if you're going to do digital right, mm. the amount of time to sort of back up your work, it's, it's, you know, it's a task. And it's not fun to do that. And if you shoot in up. RAW versus JPEG, 
and you use, say, and it's a wonderful program, I'm not dissing the Adobe people, but if you use Adobe Lightroom, you then have to process every raw file, you know, to get whatever you want to get out of it. So, you know, what if you did a shoot and you have 300 pictures, now you have to work on 300 photographs before you can even back it up? Is the raw process similar to taking a film transparency and scanning it? Well, like like in concept of you're taking a raw image and you have to get it to a digital form that you can work in. There are different file formats. There's TIFF, there's JPEG, and there's RAW. And supposedly RAW, the uh, firmware in the camera didn't do anything to it. It's just basically the data that the camera produced without being sharpened, without having any sort of color balancing. And you, now you're opening it up on your computer and you're doing those things yourself. And you need software to do that. And Adobe Lightroom opens up all of the images, just like you're taking slides and putting them on a light box. You have the different rectangles of the frames and they're placed in front of you. And if you want to work on them, say, do all this, the different sort of adjustments that you would do in Photoshop, you have to use what's called a raw converter, which basically means you're taking that raw file from your camera as you've put it on your computer and you're changing it to a format that lets you work on it in Photoshop. You blow oh. me away. <laughs> So, I mean, the point of it is, you know, digital was sold to people based on the simplicity and ease being Mm -hmm. much easier than film, and it's just turned to be be a heck of a lot more complex. You're talking about professionally. Don't you think most people are shooting JPEGs? Yes. I mean, no, no, I think they're shooting raw. Professionals are raw. Professionals. But if consumers, Mm -hmm. if you buy a reasonably priced, let's say, Canon SLR digital camera, I mean, you you can shoot JPEG. Download it into your computer, assemble those files on a disk, bring them to Target, and make your prints, correct? Yes. But you see, the whole, there's a, whole, there's a cachet to RAW. Oh, only pros shoot RAW. Pros don't shoot JPEG because it's a lossy format, and there's, there's you know, there's halation and aliasing and things like that, right, right. and there's color fringing. But JPEGs are getting so good. I read a review of the, of the new Nikon. They're getting so good that... I'd say in a year or two, they'll be virtually indistinguishable from looking at a raw file. So right. now, the people who make all that raw software, oh, they're running scared. They're not going to need our software anymore. Even pros will shoot JPEG. And they're going to have to invent some other kind of software to make, to, money. To make your money from, oh, oh, but you know, you need a JPEG converter. I mean, someone's going to come up with a JPEG converter software. I know it. You know, some other <laughs> bogus thing that you have to load into your computer. Gives you five more pixels. That's right. It's five more. It's well, listen. I'm shooting Kodachrome till till you drop. Till de- no, no, no. Till December till 2010. I hope to shoot enough images to come up, you know, to to be satisfied in my little personal project. Give me some. I'll shoot some. Uh, John, when I see John, one of the first things I always ask him is, "How much film do you need?" Yes. How much film do you need? You're like my uh, crack dealer. Right. Absolutely. By the way, if anyone listening wants to send us an email at film photography podcast. That's filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> if I don't get overwhelmed with requests, and I'm sure I won't, <laughs> I'll send you some film. Seriously, I have, uh, sitting on the table here, I have Memories 200-speed 35-millimeter film that I bought on eBay. I bought 110 rolls on eBay, less than a dollar each, and I will gladly send you a roll to, to, to play with and then post in our pool at... Uh, Film Photography Podcast on Flickr. Let us know that you're out there, first of all. Absolutely. What I will not part with is on the table we have a roll of, you just had it, the 110 film. This is 110 cartridge film. Super G, yo. <laughs> it's it called, is Super G. It's called Super G. <laughs> it is. It's Fuji Film Super G 100 what ASA. What does Super G stand for? 
It's from G-Unit. It was discontinued in September of 2009. The only place that I knew that stocked it was japanexposures.com in Japan. No, it's not a porn site. No, no, <laughs> it's not a porn site. Because I, I started experimenting with 110 photography, and I bought one of the world's only one of the world's only 110 SLR cameras. Did I show you that? I don't think so. The Pentax Auto 110. It's, it's a 110 s- SLR? Yes. It's like a little reflex mirror yep. and everything. Oh, I never saw that. Yeah. Uh, does it have a mirror? The lens is fixed at 2.8, and the exposure is determined by the inside inside the camera by the shutter. Okay. And uh, it shoots amazing pictures. And I found that the Fuji Super G 100. Super G. Super G, yo. <laughs> The Fuji 100 ASA film is, is great. Fuji great, makes great film. Great. And it's discontinued now. Oh. Ah, oh, so what are you going to end up doing? What, what, Kodak what, still makes. What's the future for, for still film photographers? Still film? Still film. Well, no, so, John, you, you, from, from your perspective, all, you feel all that I'm I, hearing I keep for, announcing discontinuation. You're talking about gloom and doom. Dwayne, do you think film will be discontinued anytime? In the next 20 years? I don't think it will ever be discontinued because there's a lot of it, a lot of Kodak film was made in Europe, in uh, the Czech Republic. And one of the reasons why it's difficult to manufacture film in the United States is because there are a lot of, you know, regulations for storing chemicals and disposing of chemicals. It's true. And people need health care plans before they're going to. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, and you go to the Czech Republic and there's an old Kodak factory. And they're just happy Spewing to have toxins. <laughs> they're just happy to have a job. This is true. Yeah, this is true. So I mean, there are there are, there are companies in the Czech Republic that are, that are going to make film because their their bottom line, their their cost of operation mm-hmm. is so much less expensive than yeah. the United States. So if they see a potential market, why <laughs> so aren't they going like, to make it? So it's like the parents in Czech Republic will be working at the factory alongside their three-eyed children. John, do you, <laughs> of course, John, do you and feel, loving it. <laughs> John, do you feel that digital photographers? Like to them, film is a nuisance, and they absolutely just, they feel they really feel yeah, people a, get very snooty about it. Snooty. They want to uh, drive the stake through films. Well, heart. because I don't think they want to kill it, but they're not going to help it if it's they see it on the side of the road with its hand out. Uh, because people want to make money. The people that I run into that are photographers are very dollar driven, and they're like, "Why should I invest in a film camera? It's not going to make me any money." Do you think, Dwayne, that film is now hobby driven, not professionally Absolutely, driven? Absolutely, I, I think. Unless you're a fine artist, I think it's. Unless you're Annie Leibovitz, she's bankrupt. I know, she's, I tell you she's bankrupt. I, I could, we could go on for twenty minutes. Do we know that she's to. bankrupt? I know all about Annie Leibovitz. Oh, well, let's, let's, I got the dirt G five. Do it. <laughs> you're gonna have to tune into the uh, alternative no. cinema podcast to hear well, about. Well, it. well, we'll have something good over lunch to talk about that. I guess. Right. But Annie Leibovitz, I saw a, uh, a a news piece on CBS Sunday Morning. She's shooting. She, she's shooting digital. Yes, she does. She shoots, I believe, a medium format like contacts or. A, why? Because she's she just, sponsored, though, right? Don't you think she like Kodak or, or someone, a company will come in and say, "We're going to give you all this equipment to shoot because you're." Yeah, yeah but she works. also is a commercial photographer, and people need to see it now. You know, she's oh, on, right. It's true. <laughs> just kidding. Just no. kidding. <laughs> yeah, but she does other stuff for like Vanity Fair, and you know, she would, she she still must shoot vanity projects on film. I, I would imagine she's not exclusively digital. You wouldn't believe how much money how much money she made. 
how much money she still makes and how much money she mm. spent and, and why she got. What well, is a whole other discussion, really? What were we talking about? I wanted uh, to finish my, my thought. Well, let me ask Sorry. you that, John. Like, for example, she's a great photographer, though. I think she's one oh, of the absolutely. best ever. Your friend Jeff, who shoots corporate video, right? If I wanted to get a job shooting stills for him at one of his big corporate events, there's no way I'm walking in there with my AE1. No, no. He'd say I'd call you if I need it, but don't expect a call. <laughs> So I'd have to adapt. Yes, absolutely. The market for film, the market for film is hobbyists and people that like to shoot it in a fine art venue. Again, because they want to archive film. Right. And they want to process it themselves. They want to process it. They want to art. See, the thing with film, especially black and white, is that you can avail yourself to a lot of different mediums for using it. You can print in platinum. You can print mm. in, in – uh, in gum by chromate, you can print an enlarged negative on on four color gum. You can do silver printing. You can scan it and print digitally. Now, when you have a digital file and you want to do those things, those alternative processes, well, you got to convert it to a black and white negative. You have to, you know. Right. So if you start with a negative originally, you're availing yourself to alternative processes that you wouldn't have are, if you shot a digital are file. Professionals like people who run archives, museums, are they still shooting on film? professionally some of them actually they'll shoot say someone gives a place a painting Mm -hmm. and the conservator at that particular institution has to somehow store that thing in some way shape or form so many of them switched over to digital because it just seemed to be the wave of the future but now we were joking before about you know when is the smart bomb satellite going to come what they're doing is they're also backing up that image on film Mm mm-hmm and it, you know why? Because you know it's so you know you could store a million sheets of film in a room this size, this tiny little room. You know, and you know that it's going to be there. Nothing's ever going to destroy it as long as it's physically not attacked. Right. But a digital file, I don't know what's going yeah, to happen to it or shock. not happen to it. Shock. Digital files sometimes they just go. They corrupt. They go the, berserk. Corrupt, corrupt on them. They're like on their you start own. the computer and something. And there's this green band across it, or or it's, it's yes. or you can't you can't even open it. You know. So a lot of I remember uh, I knew a guy who worked at Playboy magazine, and he said, you know, Hef made a decision. All those thousands and thousands and thousands of Kodachrome slides going back to the '60s, they're all going to be. You know, we're setting up this big operation to make every Playboy's digital. You know, after a while, it's like, you know. Maybe we should just keep that film, you know? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because, you know, nothing's going to destroy it. So, wow. again, a big issue is the fact that it's stable. It's proven stable. It's proven archival. It doesn't take up that much room well, to store it. So, I, it's hardcore. If you're a listener and you have a counterpoint. G. HCG. If you're a listener and you have a counterpoint, you know what? This is the film photography podcast. Yeah. Bring it somewhere else. Right. <laughs> I, I totally, I'm with you 100%. I even said to... Any Leibovitz? No. I said yeah. it to filmmaker Bill Lustig. He did Maniac Cop. Maniac Cop. You know, we're talking... This is about a year or so ago, and we're talking about making a movie. And he was talking about, you know, shooting digitally. And I said, you know, Bill, if you're shooting a digital film, like we have on hard drives, I'm like, when you're done and you invest all that time and sweat and, and money into this project, what do you have? When I shoot a film like we did with Joe Sarno's film, when I'm done, I have an asset. I have the camera negative in a vault that is going to be fine for at least 50 years. And that's the correct word. It's a physical asset that you have. I have the film. I shot a film and I have the film. You would know this. What are what are most, I mean, you know, the average film that you go to the theater to see, what is it shot on these days? Film. All the big hardcore movies are still shot on film, but... The high-definition movies are shot on high-definition... De- 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 high-definition movies shot on high-definition. Digger-ba. 
load it into an Avid, edit it, and then spit out spit out on a negative. The mm-hmm. negative makes the prints, which go to a theater. Oh. Still, I mean, this is 2009. Mm-hmm. Still, I mean, that's yeah. going to change. I think eventually. Yeah. A lot of TV shows are shot on the high definition now. I don't even think they film any more TV shows, do they? Like, you know, Desilu is involved. Los Ed, load the camera. Well, you, Dwayne, do you know that? Do you know that uh, uh, Desi Arnaz was the uh, the he force behind created the three camera shooting system. three camera on film. I love Lucy shot on film. The three camera sitcom format. Yep. He invented that. But he was shooting on film, yep. not shooting uh, kinescope which was a video format, and then they would preserve it by shooting the video image off of a screen. Right. Desilu believed in shooting film because he believed, I read this, in assets. He also shot Star Trek. Who? Desilu Productions shot Did they Star really? Trek. Yeah. Really? No, yes. three cameras. No, I don't know about that. And that was uh, all Desi Arnaz's baby. I believe so. He was a smart uh, bongo player. He you was a smart guy, man. Yes. And, he was a visionary. And what a laugh, huh? Indeed. And he had he had uh, Lucille Ball when she was pretty hot. Yeah, she was a tasty one when she was younger. I guess if you like. No, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean for, for the era. The, I I would almost always rather go for Ethel. Really? She's a lot more fun. So the spirit of the film photography podcast DIY do it yourself. That's the yes. only way to go with film it, if you want. Uh, it's a loner format. I think that I'm a perfect example of a film photography hobbyist because when I started again a year ago, I was just getting my stuff processed and slowly I invested in the scanner. And now, because of a bad experience at Target, sorry, Target, but you guys effed me. You dick! Target. Big time. As Oprah says, Target. This is a once-in-a-lifetime event. Oprah. John. Yes. I went and shot Pete Jackalone's band, The right. Dirty Blondes, yep. in Wayne, New Jersey. Puck. Never going to recreate that night. I spent the whole night sweating. Mm-hmm. I don't Profusely. know why. No. Two I, heart covers. I, as a matter of fact, I shot on film that Kodak sent me as samples. Remember a few podcasts ago yeah. on the AC podcast, I yeah. said uh, Kodak was giving away expired film. Four rolls. Unbelievable. Like eight rolls through Flickr. Oh, wow. They started a Flickr group, and they said, hey, you know, we're nice. going to send out samples. And they did? So I took out uh, two rolls of their 160 VC, 35 millimeter. Viet Cong. I went to the Lakeside Pub with my uh, Canon AE-1, and I shot two 36 exposure rolls. It's color, right? Color. Got up early on Sunday morning, the next day, early. Went to Target at 9 a.m., dropped my film off, and I'm like, hey, you know, it's great. I'm going to get my film back today. I'm going to scan it. Get it to the band. It's going to be exciting. It's fun. And I went back to Target and... The slackjaw attendant said what? The young kid. The young... He was a young kid. must have been like 20. The, I didn't really appreciate his like expression on his face. <clears throat> like he really didn't get... He really didn't, didn't care. Dick! But then the... I guess the manager said to me, I'm sorry. You know, we don't have your film. The machine... Uh, you know, we had problems with the machine. I said, um, well, can I have my negatives back? And she's like, no, 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 they, they, they're disintegrated. And that's just that's, that's just lame. And she's like treating me like I'm an idiot. I was like, okay, stop, okay, stop. I don't know if there's a chemical in that machine that can disintegrate. Uh-huh. Maybe, uh, you know, just tell, why don't why don't they just tell me tell me straight? Like, 
the kid exposed my roll of film before it got in the machine. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. I'll buy that. <laughs> Disintegrated. Most of these film processors do have a very sharp rotor blade in them. Yeah, really. And it must have gotten misaligned. <laughs> and somehow your film is in shards. And then they hand you a pile. Okay, then I'm going to buy it. Yeah. But, you know. He's new here. He put it in the paper maybe shredder. Maybe. He chem- microwaved it. Maybe the chemistry was wrong and it, it you know, deleted know. or it wiped the image off or there's no. I don't know about that. You know, maybe it didn't. It missed a process. Maybe, maybe they didn't develop it. Maybe it went right. You know what I'm saying? It could have been anything. But right. I wanted my negative back. Even my ruined negative. Let me have a look at it. Maybe I can salvage something. Exactly. But yeah. you know what? I said to myself, you know what? John, hopefully, I think you'll agree with me. It's not worth it. It's just not – I'm like, whoa, you guys don't know anything about anything. You're just following step A, B, C. Right. There's no one here that knows anything about film. And what am I going to gain? I'm going to get my shitted up negative back. I got my $30 worth of uh, – Coupons. Uh, apology coupons. Apology coupons. That I'm going to buy you know, soy milk with. And uh, that's it. You dick. So – Lately, was the night worth thirty bucks in soy milk? No, but you know they apologized. I mean, they were very nice, no doubt about sure that. Sure, they were. But th- they didn't give me the answers I wanted. So lately, I've been reading online, and the last time I saw you, Dwayne, maybe for the Alternative Cinema podcast, you said, "Oh, well, C41, do it yourself." And I thought, "Yes." You know what? I own all the equipment. I have the tanks. I have the. I have everything. I don't have the chemicals. And I've been. I did a little research online, and. This whole DIY concept is very appealing now because now I can cut out another person and really just, you know, do it myself. C41 is just more temperature sensitive than black and white, meaning with black and white, you got some latitude. Ah, with 68 degrees, it was 75, higher, lower contrast, but it'll still come out. C41, you got to keep a pretty consistent temperature bath. And if you can, you can wrap your head around that and manage to, uh, you know, get that water tempering bath going. You're fine, and it's nothing difficult about it. Do you have a file, John? A YouTube? There, there's a a YouTube file. Whatever you want to do at home with chemistry and like developing your own film, it's at the Google. You just Google it. The Google. C41 development, and you're going to be amazed. I know I was amazed. Amazed that there's a tutorial on YouTube to of how to do this. Is it MPEG4? Mm, it should be a wave file. C41 inverse. Oh, yeah. That's and don't be afraid if you cannot find a kit because there's an outfit called – an amazing outfit called the Photographer's Formulary. Have you ever heard of these guys? No, no. The Photographer's Formulary is just a company that does nothing but manufacture, stock, and sell chemicals for photographic processes. I need, I don't know, sodium dilochromium. You know? Oh, they got it. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, it's, they're incredible. I think they're in Montana. So if you own a film camera, a scanner, all you have to do is buy film, and you shoot, you develop yourself in your house, then you scan it yourself in your house, and then from there, you could, you know... Become rich and famous like Annie Leibovitz and develop excruciatingly <laughs> painful legal problems. Uh, <laughs> play, uh. play that clip, John. Okay. We're only going to listen to a few minutes. The following is a video tutorial on developing C41 color or black and white film at home using the Tetanol Unicolor press kit. Tetanol. With photo labs closing all over the world, it's worth learning how to develop C41 color and black and white film yourself. A lot of people assume that this is difficult to do. In fact, if you know how to develop traditional black and white film, you can develop C41 too. 
The C41 home chemistry kits are widely available under the brand names. So when I heard this, Dwayne, I only found this clip like two days ago. I was like in awe. His like, voice could have been a little more punchy. Yeah. You can develop C41. Well, you you can develop C41 <laughs> and black and white at home. Get excited about it. Get excited about it. Ron it's not that hard. There are kits out there. Come on, people. Dwayne, Let's get developing. When I was researching, you know, I... I I really wanted to move forward and do a film photography podcast, and I looked around on the Google. I said, oh, let me look up film photography podcast. The Google. I found numerous film photography podcasts, and I was a little scared to do one because they all sounded like that. Well, they were very uh, – I was like, oh, my so God. So it's dry. They're ap- they're, they're, but even, he's talking about a process, which is fine because he's teaching, but – even the, just the guys chatting, it was all very academic, dry, and I felt like, oh, my God. Very scientific. How am I going to be able to do a podcast and not be like, you know. Well, like a, a film strip. This is the regular guy podcast. You really. This should be a little more animated. We should be having fun here. And we're in New Jersey, so, you know, forget about it. Forget about bring it. Bring some strippers next time. I'm bring sure some that strippers, people... grab a cannoli and some film. I know. What, do you, what, do you, what else do you need <laughs> except some C41? CEC folks that are listening, we don't know it because we are from New Jersey. Right. We don't understand how thick our accents are, but I'm sure yeah. you guys are laughing, laughing your ass off, thinking, "Oh my God, it's like they should call it the Sopranos Film Photography Podcast." <laughs> oh, well, there he is. You hungry, T? You want to send the kid for my Jeff Fresh? Oh, come on, forget about it. See, oh. the thing with freaking scanning is that <laughs> mind your own goddamn business, unless you want some of this too. <laughs> that scanner, that whole freaking thing could be out of freaking alignment. What are you gonna do? Nice college boy, huh? They want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why? Because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think? This is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get him close like this. And bing! You blow their brains all over your nice Ivy League suit. Hey, I got my scanner from Paulie. All right? Paulie. The truck, he got it off. The, you know, the, John, you know about the thing? The freaking You know cool. what? That Kodachrome is like a cannoli. You don't answer your fucking phone? I tried you 50 times last night. The Fuji Chrome is only like a Napoleon, but the cannoli is the cannoli. I, I'm, John, I'm with you 100%, but I really like the thing. I like the thing over there. Which thing? That you thing? Know, no, not that thing. The That's other a thing. good thing. The other thing is all right. I don't like that thing It's either. occasionally The thing broken. you were just talking about, I don't like at all. I'm going to break that awesome. thing over his head if you don't shut up. <laughs> hey, watch it. I'll bust your kneecap. Everyone in New Jersey is not a gangster, although... They um, want to be. We, by the way, <laughs> we live in Sopranos land. Really? We are, we are, you know, 10 miles away from every yeah. land. Bada bing. Yeah. Yeah. We every are ten... landmark in that, in that show it... is around the corner. Exactly. As a matter of fact, if you're going to visit New Jersey, don't take the official Sopranos tour. Just call us up. And we'll, we'll show take you around. You. We'll take you to Pizza Land. With, yeah, with Kodachrome. We'll take some Kodachromes to Pizza Land. We'll go to Bada Bing. <laughs> we'll shoot them T-Max uh, two and a quarter, some strippers. So what else from the think. Hot Wings. Yeah. What, what do you think of what? What are you talking about? Get your mind out of the hey, freaking gut over there. So, Dwayne, DIY, do it yourself. I was blown away. Seriously, blown away that there's a tutorial on YouTube. And, of course, they show you everything out of the dark room. But it's just step by step. And it's like it's not that difficult. Yeah. No, it really is not. And if I'm going to disintegrate my film, at least I will be <laughs> responsible for it. Right. People think Could you really if, if I disintegrate your film. If I accidentally if I accidentally what? used hydrochloric like uh what you, if I accidentally used hydrochloric acid. It's like Hy- hydrochloric? Hydrochloric. Hydrochloric. Hydrochloric acid. Film is acetate. Yeah, it's acetate. It's yes. very very uh Volatile? very it, no, it's um it's plastic, really. Yeah. So acetone will probably it? dissolve it when whatever's going to dissolve plastic, you know. But I mean the chemistry that you use to process it in 
No, it's not gonna. It's not gonna melt it. It's not gonna disintegrate it. Yeah, if you if you goof up the chemistry, it's not gonna disintegrate. No, it's not gonna melt it or damage it. No. It's not gonna like burn it's water your fingertips based. off. Right. It's it's chemicals dissolved in water. And if you stop bath is acidic, but it's mildly acidic. It's not going to. If, uh, if you thought about developing film at home, you could just go to do it. Go to YouTube, type in "develop C41 at home." The video is by Inverse Room. Mm-hmm. They have a series of clips up there, how to do this, how to do that. It's fantastic. The holy grail of self-processing yep. was a company called Jobo. And Jobo! They, they made these wonderful... Photo Jojo. The wonder. Jojo or Jobo? Photo Jojo. They have the tutorial, which I was going to talk about next, on caffeinol. Oh, caffeinol. Caffeine. My dad lost 50 pounds on that stuff. Which I also he's saw, he's looking which I was turned on by... The old film project group, which I'm a member of, I mentioned that on the Alternative Cinema podcast. I'll talk about that next time. But there was a guy who developed his F key, 1977 expired film in caffeinol. Black and white, right? And I, I actually did a double take on my computer screen. Literally, I'm like, what? And I, ha- I just had to know. I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me that people are developing their negatives in coffee? Yes. It's incredible, Dwayne. No, it's not. Even John is not sleeping. I, I, I mean, I'm a little coffee, a little borax, a little bit of water, you're fine. You need instant coffee, not decaf. That's what it says here. Yep. This is from photojojo.com. Jojo. And you look up caffeinol search, and here are the ingredients: instant coffee, not decaf, vitamin C powder, <laughs> washing soda, not borax. baking soda. That's borax. Washing, yeah, washing soda. soda. What's washing soda? Borax. Oh. Two gallons of room temperature distilled water. Or tap water if you're not fussy. A Sweet. tiny wee drop of dishwashing liquid. That's it. That's all you need. Who the heck figured this out? Uh, the material in the emulsion of a black and white negative go. is called silver halide. Yes. It's usually silver bromide. Yes. But halide is a generic term for the, uh, the second part of that equation. And you need what's called a reducing agent, a chemical that separates that halide yes. during processing, leaving you with metallic silver on that negative. And... What it just so happens, most of the reducing agents uh, are metal or they're hydroquinone. You know, they're in chemicals like uh, like D76 or HC110. But coffee, part of the chemical makeup of the organic compounds in coffee, is a reducing agent huh. that it has the same chemical activity as chemicals that are traditionally used in processing black and white film. So you have caffeinol, which is present in Co- you know, coffee crystals or decaffeinated coffee. The washing soda is the borax, which makes it a little more alkaline because you have to have uh, uh, that that pH, that alkaline pH, to make this stuff work. What fixes it? You're not fixing it. Fixing is a different step because when you process black and white film, it's usually a pre-soak, right. the developer, the stop bath, the fixer, then some sort of a wash. But what about in this 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 you know I'll call this health food method? Uh, well, the, well, the caffeinol the, is the reducing agent, which is the developer. What's going to stop it from developing? You have to have a separate stop bath. No, it's no, no, no. There's no mention of stop bath here. Okay, then did he add vitamin C to it? Yes. yes. Okay, the vitamin C is acidic. Vitamin C is acid. It's ascorbic acid. So what's probably happening is it's slowing or stopping the rate of reaction at a certain point. So the caffeinol in the coffee is the reducing agent, which is the developer. The borax is the accelerator, which makes it alkaline. You've got the vitamin C, which is ascorbic acid, which probably probably slows. <clears throat> I'm sorry. All of a sudden, he turned 80 <laughs> years old. <laughs> which slows or stops the reaction. 
<laughs> and then you have the um, – what's the other thing? The, the drop of – Washing soda. Dishwashing. Dishwashing liquid? Dish, dishwashing. That's a wee probably, drop. That's probably used like a wedding agent to make it slimy so that you don't – That's like uh, the photo flow. So exactly. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, so you don't need a stop bath. You do need a fixer though, right? No. Yes, fixer. You got to have a fixer. Fixer. Fixer stops it stops. I know a guy. Would fix, fix, <laughs> fixer washes away the okay. silver halide that was not exposed. Oh. So if you were to wash the film without a fixer, it would probably eventually just completely go black, or you would see this milky, disgusting, brownish stuff on the film. Disgusting. Wow. For years, people have talked about, I don't want to use a stop bath. Is there something I can do to add to my you know, developer to make it self-stop? And people say, oh, you can add some vitamin C to it. Hmm. I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I just think, you know, why are you – what, you just don't want to do an extra step? Because you're messing with the alkalinity. Developers have to be alkaline to, uh, to right. work properly, which is why you're adding the borax. So you're adding acid to it, which to me messes with that pH. But some people claim that it works really, really well. Some people swear by this stuff. Uh, if you go to um, – John, if you go to uh, Flickr. 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 And you type old film project. Old school, G. And under groups, you'll get you'll see some images that were developed in Caffinol. Old film project? Old film project. It's a group. Uh, what's great about those groups is this, you know, some of the times vary, the developing times. You have to experiment. And since I'm using Efke film and the guys in the group are using Efke film, some of the mystery is solved because they will say, you know, I developed this in caffeinol for 12 minutes. I've never done it. So I'm just speaking about, you know, from, from stuff that I've read. Right. And my rudimentary understanding of is chemistry. It, but, I mean, some people, they sw- I'll tell you, they swear. I said, isn't it, is it a problem with grain? Because, you know, manufacturers of traditional black and white film chemistry, they, they kind of agonize over really tweaking those formulas to, to maximize sharpness and reduce grain. And I always thought that this stuff would make gobs of grain. But I've seen some prints from it that look, they look beautiful. Right. I mean, so who's to say that it, it isn't viable? It probably is. You never felt really that you wanted to go there because you, you you were doing it your, the way you were doing it and didn't feel the. I always used um, Plus X Pan film and HC one ten. I used a uh, huge fan of Tri X Pan and Rodinol. I used uh, T Max one hundred in FG seven Edwell FG seven. You know, I I I went through a period of like ten years. I was doing this every day, processing film and. And running sensitometry strips and examining it with a loop and seeing what what kinds of grain it created or or didn't it create any grain, pronounced grain at all, you know, and just kind of get an idea of what worked best for me. Right. And your your C41 print films and E6 slide film, you were still sending that out. Yeah. You were. I I've done C41 processing on my own. Right. But I just never devoted the time necessary to say, you know what, I've mastered this. I, I understand every nuance of it. And E6 I wouldn't even touch because the the, um, the tolerances for temperature are much too tight. Well, apparently – For me anyway. I mean I wouldn't do it. Are you saying – I don't have that, that much information in front of me. Can you put C, you know, color print C41 processing in caffeinol? Uh, color print? I don't think you can. Because I, think, there are, I think you can. There are dye clouds oh. in color print film – that need a specific developing agent to bring those out. Right. And all that caffeinol doing is just reducing silver halide to the metallic silver to make an image on the black and white negative film. So there's no color chemistry involved in it. You can probably do it and you can probably see something right. on the negative, but it's not going to look like if you've done it traditionally. 
John, did you find any caffeinol? No, but I did find a picture of uh, Colonel Sanders eating at Harry's Cafe D Wheels. Okay. If you would like to see some images. Uh, Colonel Sanders ain't more than chicken, G. Well, here's yeah. what you do. Go to uh, Flickr.com and type in caffeinol, C-A-F-F-E-N-O-L. Well, that? I do not belong to Flickr. I sent you an invite. You sent me an invite, and I have not done it yet. Why? Would you consider putting some of your images in the film photography podcast pool? I would love to. How do you spell Caffinol? C-A-F-F-E-N-O-L. I should put some JJ pictures in there. Yes, you should. She looked. This one of her best shoots ever. She's so really? gorgeous. She's, she's wearing a bikini, yes? God. Well, we did, uh, we did very sexy bikini down to full nude. Okay. So I can't put the nude ones okay, in. Okay, you can but... see a big difference in the stuff that was developed in Caffinol. It kind of looks, uh, it has a brownish tint to it. Or what's that? Um, Mocha. Sepia. Mocha. Sepia. <laughs> Maybe they should use... Uh, uh, quick. Nestle Quick. No, Mocha. not Nestle's Quick. Uh, what do you call it? I'm brain dead. What do we drink like this at the cafe? Oh. Espresso. Espresso. Jeez, bottom. Or if you're in New Jersey, hey, okay, give me some espresso. espresso. If anybody out there has experience with caffeinol and knows why you should use it. I mean, it's very easy to experiment with different things just because you want to, but I'm most intrigued with people that do something for a specific reason. They can say, you know what? There's there's, there's unique quality to the graininess of it. There definitely is. I well, mean, you can see it. There's a they color very to it. different. Yeah, I mean, that's... Well, you're dealing with Efke, 1977 film. Right. I mean, what do we have to lose here? I mean, I, yeah. I mean, my, my film, I got my Efke film developed at Dwayne's, and I thought they did a fantastic job, and the grain wasn't too bad. But there's still some grain there, I would imagine, because the film is so old. And uh, I believe, what um, are you an old film project, John? Yes, I am. I'm looking at some of the Caffinol shots. They're good, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're well composed too. Mostly ten minutes. Who uh, who who is responsible? This for This one guy shots? is Ferda, or or girl, sorry, F I R D A. Ferda, if you're into modeling, uh, <laughs> art modeling. Yes, I am. <laughs> Give us a call. Give me a ringy dingy. Well, you can contact us at um, filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we have a group in, on Flickr called Film Photography Podcast. John and myself do the Alternative Cinema Podcast monthly as well. Occasionally, Dwayne is on there. What do you, you, you like those photos? Yeah. I like them very great. much. They're like sort of a classical um, you know, black and white. Landscape. We're admiring Look. the work of Ferda, who is a member of the. They're beautiful, uh, though. Yep. The, Ferda, you do very lovely work. It's yeah. sort of like something you would see in a in a gallery that likes to display, uh, like straight photography. Like, but I would hang that on my wall. I would. It's beautiful. But we are just about out of time today. Oh. This is our November fifteenth, oh nine edition of the Film Photography Podcast. I can tell you, it has been an absolute pleasure. And by the next time we record, I'm sure I'll have all sorts of. Other alternative I – mean, we didn't even get to the uh, 126 this time. Didn't even yeah. scratch the surface. We didn't open up the box of – what do you have there? The Kodak Instamatic, Instamatic. X45. 1971. Is that Whoa. Was that your camera? This was the uh, – this was the – Oh, my God. Third camera I've ever owned in my it's, life. It's brand new. Look at I, it. I've, in the late 70s when I got another camera, I just took it and placed it in this box – and put it in a little baggy thing, and just you know never touched it. And the amazing thing is, this is this. I got it. We have to just mention this. I took it out in anticipation of coming here. Yes. And broke it. <laughs> <laughs> Dropped it. And when you depress this button, a light goes on in this window. Get out. Indicating that you need a, a magic cube. And like you see a red light in there. 
Yeah, I see it from here. Oh my god, yeah. This has not been done since 1978. Wow. 31 years later, I kid you not. That's amazing. 31 years later, that light is still going on. This takes magic cubes. Magic cubes. So this camera has no battery. Well, it must have a battery. How does that light go on? Oh, yeah, you're right. Because magic cubes don't need batteries. This is a magic cube. But why would the battery still work after 31 years? I guess it just still does. I'm Uh, getting out of here. The (laughs) cat... A Canon FT that I owned had a mercury battery in it from the 60s and yeah, it still works. Oh, that's, that's forever. Why. Yeah. yeah. But the nice thing about this camera is that it's auto wind and has that nice, that nice sexy motor drive sound. Oh, uh, it, it auto goes to – It auto advances. It's 126 cartridge. It was the state-of-the-art Instamatic X45 from 1971 I bought this. Now, yeah. do you have any images from – when when you from from your from that, youth from so to speak camera. hundreds anything anything that you'd want to like share vacations that I took camping trips with my family wow. uh, out to the southwest you know parties that we took when I was in high school would you be interested in posting one or two images and saying I took this image with the Instamatic X forty five sure that would be gotta awesome. scan them but you know our there. Flickr group would really appreciate it okay. I don't find Flickr, by the way, to be that awesome. super nerdy. I find everyone to be sort of regular. No, I I, I know, but it's yeah. just when anybody ever gets into twenty nine dollars at EJ Corvettes and Scotch Plain. <laughs> EJ Corvettes, Scotch Plains, uh, Route twenty two, New Jersey. Twenty nine dollars. Twenty nine dollars in nineteen seventy one yes. at EJ Corvettes in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Do you rem- you remember going? I remember going. Were you stoked? The first camera I ever got, I won because I was a Cub Scout and I sold more peanut brittle than anyone else. And, I, <laughs> and I'll bring that camera in. It's it's like it's a whole good design. Oh, okay. It might have even been made by then, but it leaked light miserably. Right. It was just horrendously didn't work well. Then I bought a Polaroid camera because my uncle got me a deal on it or something. And I didn't like Polaroid as much as I wanted film. Right. And then I went and saved them my money. I had a bike route, you know. Right. Paper route. And I bought this. It was 29 bucks. And what did you re- replace this with? I was just going to ask that. Oh. I replaced this. I used this for probably 10 years, and I replaced it with a Nikon FE2 in 1982. Wow. Get the hell out. You went right to like 35 millimeter professional. 35 millimeter. Well, FE2 was probably like semi-pro model. That was 1980. So I used this from 71 until 82. Yeah, like 10 years, 10, 11 years. And you're pleased with the images from the Instamatic oh X45? It has a glass lens on it. It's not oh, glass it does. Yeah. But it's fixed focus. Fixed focus. Kind of like maybe like a 35 millimeter semi-wide equivalent for a 35 mil camera. Right. Exquisite pictures. But you're not nostalgic enough like I am to go out and actually shoot a roll. Well, for me, this camera, you know, this is a boyhood teenage right. camera for me. I don't want to damage it. Right. right gotcha. So for me, it's more like, you know what? It's in, it's in near mint condition. I'm just going to keep it. Right, you have your images from it. I have my images from it. It's going to look at it every now and then and go, oh, this is, I have so many cool memories. Like, I photographed some girls in high school with it and stuff. And nice. Nice. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't want to damage it. Right. You know, I like photography and oh, come on. your picture. Come on, it'll be fun. So Did fun. you shoot any, any nude photography with that? Any nude? Or just like kind of Does spikini? mom count? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Hey, something about mom. Uh, no, I never did, no. no. When did you, you know what? Next time we'll, we'll discuss, we'll do a episode specifically on nude photography. I brought a great book with me, but we'll save it for next time. Great. Hey, thanks everyone for tuning in. Please do. It's very, very important you send us an email just so we know you're out there. Or join the Flickr group, uh, Film Photography Podcast. 
Uh, if you go to Flickr.com, type in Film Photography Podcast in the group section. There we are. Send us some indication that you want us to continue. Uh, we are doing this for the love of film photography. This is not a sponsored podcast, so please do uh, let us know you're out there. It's very, very important. There are sponsored podca- podcasts? I don't know. Oh. And if we do do uh, if we do if we do want a do, new do. photography, uh, again, I want to mention the Model Mayhem site. Model oh, modelmayhem.com. Right. Go to uh, www.modelmayhem.com. You yes. can enter my name, Dwayne Palku. That's P-O-L-C-O-U, or just uh, backslash curvy sexy hot. And if a lot of those pictures are shot yeah. on film, some of them they're not all digital. Yes. Some of those, you know. So if you look at those photos and you have any questions or how did he shoot that? How did he scan that? What did he do uh, to make it look a certain way? I'd be more than happy to answer anybody's questions. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Can I say one quick thing? Yes. Uh, the guy who did the C41. Caffinol. Uh, Caffinol. Was that the guy? No. No, no, no. That was the, the, uh, the C41. Black and white film. Yes. yes. Uh, people that do the podcast are very scholarly and very dry. I mean, these are very learned people, and I don't think. I, I don't want to give the impression that we're dissing these people for being this way at all. Oh, we are. For doing what? <laughs> no. For what? For doing what? Well, because uh, you're saying some of the people, they're very dry and technical. Some of the I podcasts. found that some podcasts are very dry. And yeah, tech- but these are very learned people. Oh, we're not. This podcast. is a... We just take a smidgen of what these people have. We're trying to with Capital. We're trying to... I'm Tim Gunn from Project We are a regular guy podcast. I'm not dissing anyone. Thank goodness for YouTube and for the web. For people like that who put their information out there. Yes, absolutely. This is entertainment. Yeah. This yeah. is the best time to ever to be a photographer in the history of the world because oh my God, your ability yes. to sh- – people that, that that look at the internet and think, oh, I hate it. Like what, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> you? What is it? You could – you know, with a flick of, of, of a button, you can share. You can learn so you, much. You can, I, I go on the internet every single day with the sole purpose of learning something I didn't know the day before. Right. You can start you know, a and, career for free. For free. You can get a website now pretty much for because free. Because there are – and I won't go on because we have to get, go. But good, good. people who are doing specific film photography, like do you know there are wedding photographers who who a certain clientele, they want their they want their wedding shot on film. They want their proofs. Film photography. There is a, a, a – what's a niche for it. And you could learn about just about everything on the web. You're right. A lot of people, you know uh, – Are intimidated. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Are your parents on the web, John? No. Neither am I. My dad gets email. That's it. I'm like, Dad, you're spending all this money on porn DVDs. You can get it for free. Anyhow. Thank you. And that's the Fidelity <laughs> household. <laughs> no. Well, and not show. That's his dad. <laughs> that's the that's the generation though. They don't want to be. They, it's too new. It's too crazy. Absolutely. My mom yeah. can't even wrap her head around a push button phone. Yeah, you might as well ask them to put uh, freaking studs in their ears and their nose. You know. All right, we're out. See you guys. It's a pleasure. Okay.